Listener discretion is strongly advised. Sometimes this podcast contains themes of a sexual nature in relation to the crimes that we talk about. This podcast contains triggers such as violence and or abuse and sometimes contains adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, you guys. I'm going to interrupt our show just briefly to tell you about a new podcast I've discovered. With true crime podcasting, especially one with a focus on missing persons cases, I know we as hosts, and I'm sure you guys as listeners, are often finding yourself thinking, why? Well, it turns out we are the only ones thinking why about things all the time. There's actually a podcast called Why. The people hosting Why the Podcast are asking that same question all the time. So, I want you guys to go check out their show today to get some of your most burning why questions answered. Thank you, and now we're going to get back to our show. Hey everyone, welcome back to If I Go Missing, and let's get going with your dose of true crime family time. Most of y'all know, but for any of our new true crime family out there, I'm your host, Megan, here with my mom. And I'm your co-host, Lynn. Today, we have an interesting case. A missing teenager, an empty tomb, a swirl of dark theories, a mother whose eyes are as big as watermelons over there right about now. Oh, this getting good already. And the closed doors and habitual secrecy of the Vatican City. Oh, dang, it's going to be good. Even Italians are crazy. They is. We can say that. Yep. They do be crazy. Yeah, it's been crazy growing up. It sounds like fiction, but it's actually real life. For 36 years, the family of Emanuela Orlandi has sought answers about the fate of the 15-year-old girl who vanished from the streets of Rome on her way to a flute lesson. Emanuela Orlandi was born on January 14, 1968. And she was a citizen of the Vatican City. She mysteriously vanished on June 22, 1983. Emanuela stood at only a mere five foot two, just one inch taller than myself. Short little fella. And she was the fourth of five children of Erco and Maria Orlandi. Her father was an employee of the Vatican Bank, according to some reports, or either an employee of the Popple household. According to some others, I mean, you know, it's a 36-year-old case, so, you know. And then we're kind of going from Italian to English as well, so, you know, a little disconnect. So, he did one of those two things. The family lived inside the Vatican City, regardless of what the dad actually did for work. And according to Petro Orlandi, Emanuela's older brother, they had the run of the Vatican Gardens as children. It was just a free run for them. Oh, sounds like a good life. Yeah. And, you know, for those of you who aren't really familiar with the Vatican City, it is officially the Vatican City State. It is the Holy See, and that is S-E-E, Holy Sees, independent city-state enclave within Rome, Italy. Within an acre of about 49 hectares, which is equal to about 121 acres, 
and a population of about 805 people, it is the smallest sovereign city in the world by both area and population. But it's powerful and old. The Vatican dates back to early Christianity and is the principal Episcopal see of the Catholic Church with approximately 1.313 billion baptized Catholic Christians in the world as of 2017 in the Latin Church and 23 Eastern Catholic Churches. The Vatican City State, on the other hand, came into existence on February 11, 1929 by the Lateran Treaty between the Holy See and Italy. Within the Vatican City, are religious and cultural sites such as St. Peter's Basilica, the Sistine Chapel, and the Vatican Museums. They feature some of the world's most famous paintings and some of the world's most famous sculptures, which is ultimately what brings in the Vatican City's revenue. The Vatican has always been very mysterious to me, so I wanted to get you all up to speed on what this place is and how it works. And thank you for coming to our TED Talk. Now, back to our case. Yeah, sure. So, this place really seems like the dream life, but somehow that dream turned into a nightmare. From the mafia to a Vatican pedophile ring, the suspected culprits behind the 1983 Emanuela Orlandi disappearance make this a truly chilling tale. You know, I had a funny feeling that that was somehow going to get in here. With her being a young lady... And obviously, very safe Christian environment of all this historical Christianity. But then you have all these people coming in to visit the museums and mm -hmm. come to see the wonder of the Vatican. And yeah, I'm sorry, it would be weird. Somehow I knew it was coming. It's also, it's freaking Italy, man. <laughs> like, hello, yeah. birthplace of the mob. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the good old mafia plug in there, too. Yeah. Like, Lisa, my Nisa. Okay. I mean, you think you're in, like, the Holy Land, but the Holy Land's in the middle of what the heck? Yeah. Makes sense. On June 22nd, 1983, Emanuela left her family's home, carrying her flute with her. She had asked her brother to accompany her to the bus to her music class about a mile away, but Petro had other commitments, and after her insistence of him taking her, they would argue for a bit because, you know, he had other things to do. And it all ended with her leaving, slamming the door behind her, heading off all alone to her flute lesson. On the way to her flute lesson, a man in a green BMW stopped on her street and offered her money to sell Avon Cosmetics. An incident which actually really left Emanuela troubled. I can see why, because that's not how you become an Avon agent. It's just like off the wall oh let's not get into the multi-level marketing tag talk right now yeah no I, that would freak me out i don't like multi-level marketing in general yeah i totally agree with that that's not how you become an agent no <laughs> so it's like okay no there's a little red flag waving high here's your sign yeah so later on emanuela decides to call home and she speaks to her sister and Tells her sister, you know, kind of what happened. And her sister's like, you really need to talk to mom and dad about this. And that was kind of the end of it. Emanuela was off for the rest of her music lesson. But she was so distracted and just really disturbed by all of this that she ended up, in fact, asking to leave early around 6.50 p.m. Friends saw her get on her bus home and start talking to a red-haired female passenger. 
but she never returned home. Since the time she was seen by friends getting onto a bus, there has been no trace of her, and Italian investigators have been unable to reach a conclusion about what may have happened to her. They discounted any suggestion that Emanuela had left on her own accord. The family thought Emanuela may have been abducted or involved in an accident. The Orlandi children thought they were in the safest place in the world. They lived in a small, tight-knit community where their father was a powerful official. Their home turf ended up proving anything but safe when Emanuela suddenly vanished that day. Emanuela had been taking flute lessons three days a week at a local music school, and that's precisely what she was up to the day that she vanished. She made it to class, like I said, called her sister, never showed up home. That call to her sister was the last known point of contact anyone has ever had with her. Emanuela Orlandi was officially declared a missing person the very next day, and the investigation was now underway as a number of tips quickly rolled in. Two tips in particular, one on June 25th and another on June 28th, seemed like they might lead investigators in the right direction. The first caller, referring to himself as Pierre Luigi, said he had seen Orlandi in Rome that day and actually provided details about her flute and her clothing that made investigators believe he was telling the truth. He added that the girl was calling herself Barbara and had run away from home to sell Avon products, which is something that Orlandi had mentioned to her sister before disappearing. But she mentioned that some weird man asked her about selling them, not that she had been thinking about selling them, right? Yeah. I wonder if, if um, our eyewitness dude here is our weird dude. I don't know. This, I don't know. People will often do that, though. Like, oftentimes when you have a missing person and they have a big search party, the murderer will actually go help mm -hmm. search. They will yeah. go to the wake or the funeral. They will insert themselves into that person's life as much as possible. Oh, that way you don't look as guilty. You don't look as guilty, but you also see all the trouble and stuff that you have mm -hmm. stirred up and it's all just a, a part of your gratification Makes as sense. a thick human being. Makes sense, yeah. That's, so, uh, you, I mean, you know, that might be, you might be spot on. Yeah, I mean, because he's sitting here describing all this stuff. As she decided her name would be Barbara. Tell me how many Italians are named Barbara. I don't know. What do you think, Karen? <laughs> Seriously. Me and Karen really don't know many. I mean, my, I mean, whole, my whole family's Italian. I've never heard of a Barbara exactly. in any of We didn't even marry any in. I mean, that's just a rarity. No. <laughs> we have, we have um, as far as women go, what do we have? We have Marie, Betty. Rose. Um, Patty. Um, no Barbara. No, it's just, it's just. Mm -mm. The men are a lot easier. Joe, Joe, Joseph, <laughs> Tony, Antonio, Anthony. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, I don't think Barbara ran away. Definitely not. And I mean, okay, so I just can't get over this one part though. So I have this like beautiful, exotic, somewhat sexy name for a woman, Emanuela Orlandi, and I'm gonna go from that to Barbara. <laughs> Hi, Barbara. For real. I mean, no. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. So this caller had also mentioned something about Emanuela running away to sell Avon. And while that's something she actually, like, mentioned, she never mentioned running away. 
she mentioned to her sister that she was approached by some creepo that wanted her to sell Avon products. So, yeah, it was mentioned, Mm -hmm. but it's not anything credible. Like, she would run off Mm -hmm. to it. It almost, in my mind, in hindsight, it almost incriminates him. Yeah. And that was just the first caller. Yeah. The second call came on June 28th. The second caller told authorities he had also met a young woman similarly named Barbara who had run away from home. This man claimed to have seen her at a bar near the music school lending some credence to his story. But then subsequent tipsters started talking about a conspiracy involving a Turkish terrorist group called the Grey Wolves and their plan to kidnap and then exchange Emanuela for one of their own, an assassin who had been in prison for shooting the Pope two years earlier. The family also started receiving hundreds of prank and cryptic messages about their daughter, none of them leading anywhere. This is something completely foreign to the Vatican City, which is generally pretty safe. I mean, it would be like if something like that happened here. Yeah. It just doesn't happen here. It happens other places. Yeah, not, I mean, none of it. It just seems something out of a movie. It really does. It, like I said at the beginning, it seems like fiction, but it's in fact real life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is good enough to be a freaking movie plot. Yeah. Let's just say, yeah, it's definitely, definitely be a book or something. Yeah. I mean, of course, with my luck, my cappers would get the idea from a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did it have a good ending? Yeah, for real. So did, how, how was that kidnap girl in the ending? Did they go home in the end? And I don't mean like you're in a home. You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> We're like home to my mama. Amen. Be smart, be safe, call your mama. Nevertheless, theories about Emanuela abounded. According to the Telegraph, hoping to help the situation, Pope John Paul II waded into the case on July 3rd, 1983 when he made a public appeal for her safe return after a public prayer saying, quote, I am close to the Orlandi family, end quote. He went on to then speak about her at least eight times. About two days after the Pope first addressed Emanuela's disappearance, someone called the Orlandi, bleh, someone called the Orlandi family and the Vatican saying that a group had taken the team to secure the release of Mehmet Ali Akka, the Turkish man who had tried to shoot the Pope in 1981. Authorities nicknamed this man El Americano due to his accent, and he tried to back up his claim by leading agents to a photocopy of Emanuela's registration card for her music school and sending a letter and sending a letter containing photocopies of sheet music she was studying at the time. But the American went silent on October 27, 1983. Did I say authors or authorities? What are you talking about? Fart. Authorities nicknamed him. Did I say authors nicknamed him? Or did I say authorities? No idea. Dang it. But I don't really know how that fits in there. Oh, 
About two days after the Pope first addressed Emanuela's disappearance, someone called both the Orlandi family and the Vatican, saying that the group had taken the team to secure the release of Mehmet Ali Agka, the Turkish man who tried to shoot the Pope in 1981. Authorities nicknamed this man El Americano due to his accent and he tried to back up his claim by leading agents to a photocopy of Emanuela's registration card for her music school and by sending a letter containing photocopies of the sheet music she was studying at the time. But for some reason, the American went silent on October 27th, 1983. Okay, so was he an American or was he nicknamed Americano? Yeah, I don't know. They refer to him as El Americano, and I don't know if um, just by saying, you know, the American went silent, if that was just kind of like a shorthand phrase for his nickname or what. Okay. But I want to say he's Turkish. Okay. Well, that's what the other... I mean, that would make sense with the Turkish group. a Turkish man who tried to shoot the Pope. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. Similar letters came in from other similar groups claiming they had Emanuela and they would only release her if Agka was released as well. No such exchange happened. Agka was released from Italian prison in 2006 after receiving a pardon for his life sentence. I don't know why he was pardoned then. And if you're just going to pardon him in 2006, why not just be like, all right, cool, bring the girl, have the dude. Yeah. Like if you're just going to pardon him and let him out anyway. Something that, something that compute there. I mean, I mean, I don't think my researching skills have gone downhill that much. <laughs> <clears throat> the biggest break in the case came in 2008 when the former mistress of a gangster named Enrico de Pedis told authorities that he organized Emanuela's kidnapping at the behest of the controversial American Archbishop Paul C. Marcinkus. The former president of the Vatican Bank, who died in 2006, the same year that dude was released. Well, now that's a little quinky dinky there. Um, oh, okay. That's a little, little quinky dinky there. Ain't it though? All right. Mm-hmm. What's more, a traffic warden who had seen Emanuela speaking to the man with the green BMW the night she disappeared worked to produce a sketch of the man, and this man looked very similar to De Pettis. Okay. Some have theorized that Emmanuel's father had evidence of wrongdoing committed by Marcinkus and that he asked De Pettis to kidnap the girl to keep the clerk quiet. Oh, dango. According to the Telegraph, though. Another theory is that De Pettis's group, the Banda della Magliana, took Emmanuela as a way to try and restore some of the money they lost in the crash of the Banco Ambrosiano, which Marcinkus was involved in, according to a news outlet called The Spectator. So, The Telegraph and The Spectator both have two different theories, but they all kind of are around the same idea. Something is going on with the bank and the money. This poor child ended up involved in this mess. But like you, if if her dad was like, yeah, take this one. You've got four. You've got five kids. How do you pick one? Like you know, what? she annoys me. Take that one. Like how do you do that? I don't know. Maybe she was one of the only ones that 
went out away from the family like that so much. I don't know. But that, I, I don't, how do you do that? I, I don't know. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine a human being that would say, well, just take one of the kids and we'll call it even. What? <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah. Say what? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, that's, um, wow. That's crazy. And it doesn't fit with the way that this family seems to be. Yeah. They don't, everything I've read seems to be that the siblings, at least for the most part, were very close-knit. Yeah. So I assume, you know, by extension, Mm -hmm. with the siblings being that close, the parents had to be. Probably. So more suspicion. There's another connection to De Pettis, which has become relevant with the discovery of bones in the Nuncature. And... That is the Monsignor Pedro Vegari. Vergari was the only person investigated in Emanuela's disappearance as the former rector of St. Apollinaire, where she went missing. Vergari also knew De Pettis and petitioned to let his body be buried at the Basilica of St. Apollinaire, a place usually reserved for senior clerks and not career criminals. Okay. But yeah, let's bury him there anyways. It's a little strange. Usually those kind of things are pretty... um Strict. Yeah. They're, they're pretty regimented. Yeah, they wouldn't even let me get married to Catholic Church. <laughs> My grandpa was Catholic. <laughs> yeah, she was converted though, so... Right? And you had to tell them that part. <laughs> Look, people, you got pretty stuff. I just want to borrow for a few hours, okay? Okay. <laughs> It was not a thing. No. <laughs> they know. And neither the Greek Orthodox said no to. But they have pretty places too. Okay. <laughs> hey, I wasn't giving it all the cow to free chapel though. I'm serious. <laughs> uh, ooh, a little segue there. But anyways, yeah, so fun fact. You have to be Catholic to get married in a Catholic church. And you have to be Greek Orthodox to get married in the Greek Orthodox church. Who knew? Apparently not me. Sometime after Emanuela's disappearance, Vergari is reported to have worked at the Nunacature. Though the Vatican refutes these reports. Scandalous. <laughs> In 2012, yet following another lead, police forensic experts exhumed the tomb of a notorious local crime boss at a Vatican church where some speculated Emanuela might have been buried. Besides his remains, they found hundreds of other bones in an ancient ossuary nearby in the crypt. Oh, that's just, that's just wrong. Oh, that's wrong. The police said they would test them to see if any might have been Emanuela's. The exhumation added a new chapter to the 29-year-old mystery. At this point in time, it was a 29-year-old mystery, anyways. And it still captivated Italians for the the span of 29 years at this point and now like 36 (laughs) it's so captivating though in particular because emanuela was the daughter of an employee of the vatican city state and a vatican citizen herself a fact many see as key to understanding her disappearance anonymous phone calls to a television program about the disappearance added a piece to the puzzle mom why don't you read what the caller said to find the solution of the case, go and see who's buried in the crypt of the Basilica of St. Apollinar. 
An unidentified man said, referring to the tomb of the local mob boss, Enrique de Perez, known as Renatino, who was gunned down in Rome in 1990. The caller also implied that Manuela had been kidnapped as a favor to the Cardinal Hugo Poletti, who in 1983 was the Vicar General of Rome. Cardinal Poletti died in 1997, the Archbishop Marcinicus in 2006. Questions remain about why Mr. De Pettis, a member of the Macchiana crime gang, was buried in a church owned by the Holy See. I mean, you know, his tomb was small. It was, it was um, humble in the, you know, Vatican City. But anyways, and it was, you know, in a locked room in a crypt under the church. Ew, okay. But uh, why he there, though? Questions still remain as to how this dude ended up here. Like, he wasn't supposed to be there. No. Mm-mm. Lorenzo Radagona, the lawyer for Mr. De Pettis' wife, said that the corpse would be taken to the family plot in Rome's main cemetery or cremated to lay rumors to rest that the Vatican had obstructed investigations into Emanuela's disappearance. So, you know, the tomb was cracked open, he was taken out, and he was reburied. <laughs> they done moved his dead behind. You. Okay. It's like, I can't, can't do a correct in peace? You know that rip part. Let's do that rip. And that don't mean rip, open that door and take me out. <laughs> but they did. And I guess somehow them taking him out is supposed to prove that they were innocent. But why he there, though? Yeah, you know, like a real innocent man. Yeah, I'm just saying. Anyways, I don't know about Italian law. I don't know about Italian law, but American law, innocent until proven guilty, so we'll move on with that. Pietro Orlandi, Emanuela's brother, said that the decision reflected a new collaboration between the Vatican and Italian prosecutors investigating the case. And he felt, actually, it, this was a very important thing. Because, according to him, it's not always been this way in the past. According to Pietro, the Vatican's, quote, silence for 29 years remains inexplicable. And her brother is also convinced that the truth behind his sister's disappearance is known to many people. Kind of sounds that way. And it really makes you wonder, though, why the shadow of Omerta, the vow of silence among the mob, is casted over the Vatican City. I don't know. Kind of holy place has got so much... Um... Ties to organized crime. Yeah. Because yeah. the coat... The, the vow, the code, whatever you want to call it, of America is what men would take when they were becoming made men, when they were becoming into the ranks of a mob family before they were just like associates. Yeah. And they were moving up and actually in the family, not just doing their work. I don't know. I guess maybe that's the best place to cover it up. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I mean, because that, that, that's what the, 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 um, the vow of silence among the mob, but though Martha is, is that I don't care what happened. I don't care who you are. If you got mm-hmm. caught, you sit down and you take it. Yeah. You don't rat. You know. They were yeah. like the original snitches get stitches. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
So, you know, as the crypt of the long-dead mobster was being exhumed in 2012 to see whether or not Emanuela's remains might be hidden inside with his, oh. <laughs> lo and behold, nothing matched the missing team. Can it, I say that's a good thing? I think so. That would really not, oh, well, thing. Oh. It was once again another dead end, but in 2019, the case would get brought back into the light. While the public found out a few months after the fact, however, the family received a tip back in March of 2019. The latest in a long list of anonymous tip-offs, a photo of an angel sculpture, and an instruction to, quote, look where the angel is pointing. Oh, that's not creepy. The message led the family to two tombs inside the Teutonic Cemetery. After campaigning from the Orlandis, the Vatican announced they would exhume the contents of those tombs. The operation is a complex one, you know. It's involving Vatican security forces, construction workers, and machinery. And, you know, any bones found during the search would have to undergo laborious DNA analysis, and that could take weeks. Thirty-six years after she went missing, the latest trail led her family and a Vatican-appointed forensic scientist to two tombs inside the Vatican walls. The burial places of princesses well over a century dead. Experts examined the two ossuaries. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, these ossuaries are small little chambers where the dead are buried. And experts examined two ossuaries found in the first search. The search focused on the college where the first exhumations took place in the cemetery there. During the first search, the two ossuaries were discovered under a trap door in the floor of a nearby building. Interim director of the Holy See Press, Alessandro Gisotti, told Vatican News that the ossuaries were in, quote, an area adjacent to the princess tombs. The tombs were found to be empty of any human remains at all when opened on July 11, 2019. The team only found another mystery. Even the bodies of dead princesses are now missing. Oh, snap. So, two ossuaries filled with partial bones and bone fragments were subsequently found under the pavement of a room in the college adjacent to the tombs. And that was just yet another strange turn for the family. And they've suffered terrible false leads, red herrings, and intense media attention since Emanuela's disappearance. On July 29th, 2019, the Vatican communicated that the bones were all found to predate the 20th century. The most recent of them dates to at least 100 years ago, meaning that none of them could in fact belong to Emanuela Orlandi. This is crazy. 36 years and we have nothing more than the day she left. No. No, and then, I mean, and then the princess's bodies were missing as well. The tombs were empty. I mean, come on. What the hey? It's just crazy. I don't know. No, somebody took this child somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, like, this trap door, I think, was supposed to be adjacent to the princess tombs, but it actually, I think, ended up being the princess tombs. Okay. The wording was a little confusing. Yeah. I think because you're going from one country to another, and the way things are worded, 
mm-hmm. has a lot to do with it. But, I mean, either way, the tombs were empty, which was crazy. Yeah, I don't recall reading anything saying that, like, oh, they recovered them, like, two tombs down to the right or anything right. like that. It's just crazy. Just like, dang, man, even a princess ain't safe. A dead one, too. <laughs> yeah, dead one, too. That's the creepy part. I know. That's what happens when they file you above ground. Oh, you know what? <laughs> they were not filed above ground. They were in a trap door under the college. <laughs> Dear Lord. Open a door and pull them out. It's <laughs> still just as easy. Okay, well, then we'll put a lock on it. <laughs> Get one of those master locks from Walmart. Oh, that's encouraging. That ain't redneck. <laughs> <laughs> no you way. might be a redneck if there's a Walmart master lock on your grave. <laughs> it was an ossuary. Excuse me, put a fancy name to the grave. <laughs> it's an ossuary with a master lock. <laughs> From Walmart. <laughs> From Walmart. <laughs> oh, my oh, my God. Not even Home Depot. <laughs> you know, I can't afford that. Okay. <sighs> <sighs> I wish I had an answer for this case, but it was such a crazy case. I just had to share it anyways. Always remember, be smart, be safe, and talk to your mama so you don't go missing. And take her advice so you don't go missing. Don't push it. We'll see you all next week for an all-new episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought and hard work into these episodes. I write, edit, and produce them all myself, and it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen. If you would like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is at ifigomissingpodcast. Then we also have our Twitter, and that one is at Pod. If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel Podcast, and we also have discussion groups for the podcast, and the name of the discussion group is If I Go Missing, a podcast. <laughs>